following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. All right, let's get down to business. We're going to work again in Philippians chapter 2. I thank John Mangum for preach last week. I listened to this sermon. Uh, it's wonderful. So thank you for offering the word last week. We're going to start in Philippians in the book of Luke. Makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37, He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And they replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. And I've heard his story before. The parable of the Good Samaritan. We hear that expression all the time, right? Someone does something nice for somebody else that they don't know. We call him a Good Samaritan. It's, uh, if you're Jewish, it's kind of a mix of good and bad. You say they're good because they've done something nice. We call him a Samaritan, which, if you're Jewish, is an insult. You don't care. doesn't matter. In Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, there are three men that encounter a poor guy that got beat up and rubbed going from Jerusalem to Jericho, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. A Jewish priest, their responsibility was to offer sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. Once a year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people, to cover their sins with the, uh, the blood of a sacrifice sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. A Levite, their responsibilities could range from leading, uh, leading musical worship um, to slaughtering animals for the sacrifices. They, were, they served as assistants to the priests at the temple in Jerusalem. Pretty important uh, religious work. What do you say? Yes, the answer is yes. It's important work for Jewish people, um, religious work. Uh, both the priests and the Levite you see, because we don't have a good handle, I don't think, on geography, there's significance of going from Jerusalem, uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem, right? The guy who got beat up is heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho is where a lot of priests and Levites lived when they were not offering their service in the temple. It's not very far away, so they'd walk there. And as they're on their way to Jerusalem, that's where they encountered this man um, on the side of the road. 
they are, they're both the priests and the Levites are on their way to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifice, their service in the temple, and didn't want to make themselves unclean uh, by coming in contact with the poor fellow that was beaten half to death. They wouldn't be able to do their job if they stopped to help. They'd get bloody, messy, and then they couldn't go to the temple and offer their service. Right? So that's why most people think they decided not to get involved and they go on the other side of the road and stay away from the guy that's all beat up. Now we kind of read that and I think sometimes we think those guys are just jerks. They're ignoring him. But their motivation was not just, Ich, I don't want to get involved. They want to offer their service in the temple. And they, if they were stopped to help him, they couldn't do their religious duty. Ironic. Uh, the Samaritan may also have been on his way to Jerusalem um, to worship, but instead of passing by, he had compassion and stopped to help the man. And at the end of the parable, Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the answer was obviously the Samaritan, or the good Samaritan, as you often refer to him. Now, I bet you're wondering, what's that got to do with Philippians? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, because I want, to, I want to think about a different question. I'd like to ask a second question and consider its answer as we look at Philippians 2, 19 to 30 this morning. Two of these men were professional servants of God. Right? They are trained from birth to serve in a temple. Um, one of them, one of the three men, was an outcast from God's chosen people, considered unclean and less than human. Jews were not even allowed to share dishes with Samaritans. It couldn't have anything to do with them at all, or they would become unclean. So my question is, out of these three men, uh, which of them really served the Lord that day? And I hope the answer is obvious. Um, as we examine um, our text, we're going to look at the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I hope as we look at that, the answer to that question of who really served the Lord that day will become obviouser. That was funny in my head. More obvious. Um, we're going to pray now uh, so I can start making sense, I hope. Father God, we thank you again for bringing us together this morning. And we thank you for your word that we can look at it together and read the words that you wrote so long ago through the apostle. We just pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see the truth of your word this morning. That your spirit would move in our hearts and we could respond to your message in faith. So we give you this time for your glory that we might know you better. We love you and thank you. Jesus name amen so we're going to look at our text in Philippians 2 19 through 30 and that's page 981 in the pew bibles if that's helpful to you and up here on the screen as well Philippians 2 19 this is the apostle Paul writing to the church of Philippi I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But do you know Timothy's proven worth? How as a son with the father he has served with me in the gospel? I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in his service to me. Now, at first glance, um, this passage may not seem very instructional in nature. It's a lot easier, I think, when we read a passage and it's full of do this and don't do that. That's easy to preach on. The Bible says do this, so let's do it. Right? Well, we don't have that. But if we look, we can, uh, we can see quite clearly the way that the Lord would have people live because we uh, see these examples and we even see further examples of how gracious the Lord Jesus is to us. Throughout history, God has communicated his truth and love through people. Have you noticed that? As you read through the Bible, you can see there are people in it. You ever notice that? Like, and when God works, he works through people, right? From Moses and the prophets of the Old Testament to Jesus, who's called Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? The Word made flesh is what John calls him in the Gospel of John. And then there's the apostles, right? And and and. Apostles with a large A, a big A, capital A is the word. And then apostles with a small A, people that are sent out. We call them missionaries now, right? God uses missionaries and pastors and ministers down through the ages. The wonderful truth is that God incarnates his truth in people. That's a... Jesus is God incarnate, right? Incarnate means to me made flesh. He became flesh and walked among us, right? So God incarnates his word in the people. Um, even this morning, I, I don't like this, but I think it's still true. I don't think I'm going to reveal any truth to you that you can't see by reading God's word for yourself but somehow God gives his word roots in our hearts when it's communicated to us through people, when it's being preached by people. And I don't just say that because I like it, but it what people have been doing for thousands of years and lives have been changed and touched by people communicating God's word. All right, that's how he does it. Now, I'm not saying that uh, you can't just read the Bible and, and come to faith in Christ. You can't. There's just scores of people have. Um, but this is, uh, this is the way God does it most of the time. He communicates his word, his love through people. 
Now, we've seen in this letter, as we've studied Philippians over the last few weeks or months, or however long it's been, um, we have seen the examples of humble servanthood displayed by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul. Now, you remember where Paul is when they write this letter? He's in prison in Rome, right? He's on trial for sedition, or for, we call it treason. Um, he's really on trial, going to be on trial for preaching Christ and Him crucified. Uh, Jesus, though He was in the form of God, veiled His glory and divine nature in flesh and became a servant, obedient to the point of death on the cross. That's His example of humble service, putting the needs of others before His own. That's what Paul was doing by preaching Christ. He wanted people to be saved in service to them, and he was in prison for it. And here in our passage, we have two more examples of servants of the Lord Jesus. And I love this because these two fellows, they're not gods. They're not super apostles. Uh, they're just two men who are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're going to look at their examples one at a time. Uh, first is... Timothy. You heard of him before? Right, he's got a couple of books named after him. He didn't write them. didn't write First and Second Timothy. They were written to him. Paul wrote those letters to Timothy. Um, uh, Timothy was a young guy that Paul had met in the city of Lystra. Um, his, uh, Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his father was a Gentile. Um, and you can read about how they met in Acts chapter 16. Um, fun story. So let's look at the text where, where Paul mentions Timothy. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with his father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, a Philippian church, right, a group like us, knew Timothy because he was with Paul when Paul planted the church in Philippi, right? He was like a son to Paul. Paul was his mentor and really a father in the faith. Um, he was an apprentice who served with him in the advance of the gospel. I said it's a wonderful uh, relationship and an example of uh, making disciples. This young man walked with Paul, worked with Paul, um, helped Paul. And Paul was able to teach him by displaying uh, the life of an apostle uh, to him. Um, and though Timothy was a man of proven and exceptional worth, like a son to the apostle, there is one aspect of his character in this short description that I think really stands out. And we know from our study so far that there was already a church in Rome when Paul got there. Right? He wrote the letter to them. It's really long. We've studied that. It took us like two years to get through. Um, it's the book of Romans, in case you are wondering. I just hadn't connected those dots. <laughs> um, but uh, 
in the Roman church, there's a problem among that church. Actually, lots of problems that he, uh, that he addressed in the letter to the Romans. But he only addressed one problem here. Uh, he mentions the church. A problem that, thankfully, doesn't exist with our, within our church family. <laughs> we'll see if... Anyway. Um, Paul, speaking of Timothy, says in verse 20... For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's nice. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's not talking about every person he's ever met before. He's talking about the men of the church at Rome. He say, Timothy cares about you. And unfortunately, these other guys don't. They care about themselves. It's an indictment of the church that was surrounding Paul at the time. Um, and I think this points out something very important that maybe we've lost sight of. That there is a cost to following Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness there is freedom, there is blessing, but there is also a cost. And the cost is ourselves. Listen to Jesus' thoughts on the cost of following him in Luke 9, start of verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, he said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are some of my least favorite verses in Scripture. There were others that Paul could have sent to Philippi to see how they were and to share news of what was happening to him. Uh, to bring back word of how the church was progressing in the faith. But all of those that he may have asked about doing that work, out of all of those people, Timothy was the only one who genuinely cared about the interest of Jesus Christ and was willing to set aside his own junk to serve the church, to serve the Lord by serving the church. Timothy was a devoted brother of proven worth, humble experienced and useful to the cause of Christ and he was willing to serve. Now the second example is Epaphroditus. Doesn't matter if I'm saying it right, I say it confidently. <laughs> That's how you speak Greek, with confidence. It doesn't matter if you say it right or not. Pete's not here to correct me, so it's okay. Verse 25 says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, 
and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Do you hear those words? My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. What a compliment paid by the apostle. What I find most interesting about this compliment is that every expression that Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus connects him to other people. He doesn't say, Epaphroditus, handsome, intelligent, charming, even though that's what his name means, is charming. He doesn't talk about his individual uh, self, whatever that word is, his uh, attributes. Right? He talked about how he's connected to other people. They were brothers, Paul and Epaphroditus, connected by the blood of Christ and by the love of God. They were fellow workers, laboring side by side to reach people with the good news that Jesus loved them and gave his life on a cross for them, that they could be forgiven. They worked together on that. And they were fellow soldiers standing firm together against the onslaughts of the enemy, right? They had each other's back. I protect your back with my shield, and you protect my back with yours. Now, he could have just talked about his individual stuff, but instead he re- reinforced that the, I- the idea that we are to in this together, in this work, in this battle, in this family, We're here together. Far too often American Christianity is just about you and your faith. Just me and Jesus. That's all that matters. I don't need the church. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. All I need is to believe in Jesus Christ and I'm okay. Well, you're only halfway. We are in this together. When we get forgiveness of our sin, we also get the church. Do you know what a wonderful blessing that is? I mean, we all get along pretty good here. But we don't have to do this work alone. Epaphroditus even got really sick and almost died. Um, Even so, his thought was not about the value of his own life. Oh, poor me, I'm sick. He was upset because of the distress he heard it caused the church. Everybody's worried about me. I know that feeling. He's distressed that he heard that his illness uh, caused the church distress. But by God's mercy, he recovered from his illness, bearing Paul and the church the sorrow of losing him. Paul charged the church to receive him with joy when he came and honor men such as him who willingly risked their lives for the work of Christ, who willingly risked their lives in service to the church family. 
the sickness was not how he risked his life. Delivering uh, missionary aid to Paul uh, from the church of Philippi was a risky move for him um, and almost cost him his own life. So what's the point? I don't make three points. There's only one. And I think the key, the point is found verse 20 and 21. And Paul speaks to Timothy. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see how Paul connects interests of others looking after and being generally concerned for the interests of others, he connects that with the interests of Christ. We're not in this alone. Timothy sought after the interests of Jesus Christ through his genuine concern for the church. So if we think that we are at all concerned for the interests of Christ, then we ought to be genuinely concerned for the spiritual and physical welfare of the church family, for those who belong to Christ. How that connects to the parable of the Good Samaritan, just in case you hadn't forgot, the lesson lies in the idea that those who were professional ministers refused to do real ministry. They ignored their brother's need. But a stranger and a foreigner served the Lord by looking beyond his own needs in order to serve the wounded man. That's the lesson for us. So much of life, the important things happen while we're waiting for the important things to happen. And when Christ comes back, it's the most important event the world has ever known. But we have to wait. So what do we do while we wait? This is where we do our service to the king. I think John Calvin said it best when he said, For it must necessarily be that one or the other of two dispositions prevails over us. I apologize. This is translated from Latin. Two dispositions prevail over us. Either that overlooking ourselves we are devoted to Christ and those things that are Christ, or that unduly intent on our own advantage we serve Christ in a superficial manner. The point is, are we looking beyond ourselves in order to serve others for Christ? Or is it just about us in our relationship with Christ and so we serve him in a superficial manner? Because that priest, that Levite, they were on their way to Jerusalem to serve in a superficial manner. They refused to look beyond themselves and help a wounded man. Now, my prayer for myself, because believe me, folks, I'm leading the charge in the wrong way. My prayer for myself and for our church family is that we would not only be superficially devoted to Christ, Showing up here on Sunday, nice. But we don't hand out gold stars. Jesus is not interested in checking the checkboxes. Just going to church and doing religious type things. My prayer is that we would overlook ourselves and be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. 
totally devoted to Christ and those who belong to him. That's my prayer for us. So that we not just play church here. That's a waste of time. We could have slept in, stayed in the air conditioning. If you're here only in a superficial manner, you're only inconveniencing yourself. And it doesn't count for anything. We must be genuinely concerned for the interests of Christ. And he is genuinely concerned for the interests of others. So we should too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that our forgiveness of our sin is not dependent on our actions, but upon our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, with your help, may we genuinely be concerned about the things that Christ is concerned with. Not just about dusting off our own uh, hearts, but looking to the interests of others. May we look beyond ourselves and see the needs that are around us. People that are hurting, people that need help, people that need to hear about you. They're not coming here to church to hear me talk. But I pray that through our actions they would hear you speak. And we would be able to testify the wonderful love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. May we be your hands and feet here on earth as we await for your return. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.